This series called Shot Control is brought to you by the Speakeasy. This is where we dive in deep to whiskey and golf, where we take a simple or maybe even a mundane piece and show you the importance to make a great golf shot and create a great whiskey. Shot Control. Hey there, Fuel Nation. This is Brian Bailey here bringing you our new episode of Shot Control. Mixing of kind of getting in the weeds of whiskey and golf together. Today we're going to talk about putting mash up. What is that? We're going to talk about the three main components that kind of the ethos of becoming a good putter technically, as well as kind of the, the soul or the backbone of any whiskey, which is the mash. Kind of the, the, the starting grains that turns into a wonderful, wonderful whiskey taste. So since we are in Irish week, I have my tasty, my blind tasting glass, so I don't really get a good look at the whiskey that's inside of it. Uh, my wife poured this for me, so I don't know what it is. It is one of these four bottles up here since we are in Irish week. I know it's not tealing because that's the same level it was the last time I was here. So it is one of these bottles and she told me she put an X on the bottom. So we'll taste this kind of talk about mashes and stuff and see if we can figure out which one this is by my tasting. And again, we tasted all of these with Rob and I think we tasted a lot of these also with Gareth. I think other than the Irishman, we've tasted all of these uh, in a show earlier. So hopefully if you watched earlier shows when I kind of give my tasting notes, um, maybe you can guess or remember what it would be. So let's start off with putting. So what makes a good putter? There's three technical skills that you have to be to be a good putter. The first is speed control, or what I like to call distance control. The ability to control how far the ball rolls on a putting green. I don't like to use the word speed because speed means the speed of the ball and understanding the actual miles per hour or, or whatever you want to rate uh, the ball rolling across the green is very hard to understand. But delivery distance, understanding how far the ball rolls. So to me, I like to use distance control as a main component when we're kind of talking speed. How, how far I roll the ball across the putting green and how well can I control that. We also have start line, which we talk about. That's your ability to deliver the putter face square to your target and the ball to roll relatively straight to where you're aiming. So aim has two main components. You have a static aim, which is where you're aiming. Uh, when you put the putter down, then you have a dynamic aim is where the face is pointed when it basically strikes the ball. That, to me, is start line, dynamic aim. Those two are one and the same. Wherever the face puts, basically, basically the ball rolls. So having a square face at impact allows you to hit a relatively straight putt. Uh, so that's two. And then three is probably the most important and the one that people are not uh, typically very gifted at is reading the green. That's your ability to predict break. Is it straight? Is it left to right? Is it right to left? How much is it right to left, left to right? Is it uphill? Is it downhill? Is it side hill? Uh, taking all those factors involved and then predicting how far the ball will actually move uh, so that it can enter the cup. Cup is four and a quarter inches wide. Golf balls, you know, inch and a half, give or take. So it's not real easy to put a little white ball like a two-inch ball inside of a four-inch cup, right? So that's putting. Putting is very challenging. Uh, putting takes a little bit of practice. So those are your main three pieces. We have start line, and everybody can kind of understand what start line is because 
ideally when I move the putter back and forth, the ball rolls and I can see does it start where I think I was starting it at. If you have bad start line, typically the first thing you want to do is check your aim, your static start line, see if that's setting you up for a disaster. Maybe I think I'm aiming straight at the center of the cup, but maybe when I place the putter, it's actually pointing to the right edge. So there can be some visuals or just some setup components that can uh, fix that quickly. And then again, we also have movements of the joints as the putter's face is moving that can cause start line issues. But again, these are a lot of the technical terms, and this is where you see a lot of really good coaches can really work well on start line. But that's just a small component. <coughs> Inside of golf, we also talk about start line is really the most important between 9 and 20 feet. And it has to match your distance control as well as your read. Because inside of five feet, your face can be really kind of poor. Two degrees open, two degrees closed. And as long as you have a good read and good speed, you'll make a whole lot of putts. Uh, if you're at five feet and your read's wrong, you usually don't make that many putts. And then again, if your speed is wrong at that same distance, again, you won't make as many putts. So face is less important closer you get within reason, don't go crazy people, but also at distance, so we get outside of 20 feet, face is again, less important. Again, assuming you can deliver it relatively square, uh, speed and read again are, are really important factors. And those are probably the two components that we'll, we'll talk about most here because distance control is your ability to take the putter back a certain length and move it in a certain time. That's how we're gonna be able to control distance. A lot of amateur golfers that we see will have a very short backstroke and a big accelerating through stroke, so the stroke is out of balance. Uh, a lot of times, anytime, the put, anytime a putter where the backstroke doesn't really change, what we really, really notice with that, it is an amateur move, and again, you have distance control issues because everything is done with accelerations. Uh, really good putters, what you see is their backstroke is much longer, but it almost equals their through stroke. It could be a little short of the through stroke compared to the backstroke, or it could be just a hair longer. But overall, you see it kind of in a balance. So your ability to allow the putter to move back further and slower, a lot of times shows you a better putter. Now, granted, if you grow up on really fast greens, uh, that stroke works great. If you grow up on really slow greens, like municipals, putting sevens and eights in Europe, uh, a lot of times you'll start to see a shorter, more punchy stroke. But again, you know, that's distance control. And then we talk about read. Read is probably the most important because if your read is wrong, then I have to do something else wrong to have a chance to make a putt. What do I mean by that? So let's say the putt breaks two inches right to left. I don't know that. I aim six inches for it to break right to left. There's no way that ball is going to get into the hole unless I break something else. So my aim is wrong, so maybe I hit it really soft. So it'll break a little bit more because it's on the slope a little bit longer and maybe I pull the putt and it actually ends up in the hole. So I think it broke six inches, but I broke two things to fix that, right? So what you'll find as a really good putter, and I think this is really interesting, as you get better and better understanding and maintaining these three skills, when one skill misses, you miss. So if I do my speed right and my start line right, but my read's wrong, I miss. If I do my speed right, and my read is right, but my start line is just terrible, I miss. 
So that's what, but the cool part about that is when you have one piece that breaks, you can fix it. If you understand it, you can fix it and correct that before you go to the next hole. The problem with a lot of putters and especially streaky putters is that they do the opposite, right? They break something, they, they do one component wrong, so they break two things to make it right, right? So again, they read it wrong, so they pull it and hit it really hard or they have a bad start line, but they overread it and hit the ball really slow and it actually sneaks in the hole. But what you tend to see is when you have two things that break, when those other pieces don't line up, you have a day where you might have 31 putts day one, 37 putts the next day, what changed? That what changed is the, the broken pieces weren't matching your actual wrong component, therefore you missed more putts and you had a bad putting day. So typically I see when I see streaky putters, where they go really low and really high in a very short span of a tournament or multiple tournaments, a lot of times that is because they're relying on other pieces breaking. So to me, read is of the utmost importance. If you can start with a good read and you have really good speed, putting becomes one issue. Can I start it relatively on the line that I want? That's what we want in golf. That's the security we need. All right, I can talk for hours on, on putting stuff like this, but that gives you a good concept. Read speed, aka distance control, and start line are your mash of putting and how to become a better putter, understanding those three components. And if you need help in any one of those three, I would start with read, I would do speed control second, and then I would worry about actual start line last. Um, so now let's jump over to the whiskey world. Mm, I'm getting a lot of floral notes here. Fruity. <laughs> Actually, I smell apple. Like, lots of apple. So let's take a little sip. Getting lots of apple. I'm getting a little bit of burn. Lots of apple still. And I'm kind of getting that fruity floral note at the end. Really good. <coughs> I'm going to be nice. I, I'm going to tell you right now, I've had this one enough. I know that is not the flavor. Uh, so we can get rid of the Irishman. And I'll, I'll tell you this right now, it does not have the bite of the Drochambeau. So right now I'm looking at either green spot or red breast. And we'll look at the bottom of the, the actual whiskey bottle here in a minute and see which one it is. But again, on the nose, I'm getting a lot of apple, a lot of citrus, a lot of malt. It's an Irish, lots of malt. I'm pretty sure I know what this one is, but, but we'll hold on for a sec. So let's talk about the mash. What is the mash? The mash is kind of the ethos or the heart of your, of your whiskey. It is grains, right? It is either wheat, rye, barley, malted, um, corn, or other local or native grains, right? So grains are, are what makes up the flavor base. So what we do, the first step inside of making our mash is we select our grain, grain or grains, and then we're gonna run it through a milling process. And we're gonna mill it really, really fine, and we'll call that a grist. And what we do is we take that grist, whether it's wheat, barley, rye, corn, or a combination of, and then we're gonna put it in a vat or a tub or a moonshine or a five gallon bucket. And we're gonna add hot water to it. And once that hot water is introduced to the grist, to the milled grain, what we're gonna do from there is it's actually the water and the grain will kind of start to break down. 
the grain starches into sugar and sugar is the key here uh, once there's sugar in the system now we can create alcohol by adding uh, yeast here in a couple minutes but we need that that grist and the hot water to come together to basically activate and create enzymes um, so we can create those sugars to create alcohol uh, that's why barley is so good or especially malted barley uh, with malted barley, you don't need to add enzymes. There's enough enzymes inside of the barley, then when hot water is added to it, it has enough uh, enzymes in there to go ahead and start converting sugars. What you can do, a lot, or a lot of times what you'll see is uh, some whiskey companies will actually add enzymes in too. And again, depending on the grain structure and what they're using their mash for, they'll add enzymes to help break down that grain and create more sugars. And what we really see is a lot of moonshiners, a lot of clear liquor distillers, a lot of times they'll use an actual sugar uh, along with the grain to really speed up the process of creating um, that sugar that you need to create alcohol. So once we have the mash, the grist is in there, we got the hot water, it, it, turn, it changes its name into something called a wart. Again, I love the, the whiskey terminology. So what is the wart? Wart is basically the liquid version of the mash, right? So we have hot water, we have grain, we're mixing it together, the starches are breaking down, creating sugars, and we have this big liquid mass. We're gonna call that the wart. From the wort, we go into laudering, and laudering basically separates the wort liquid from whatever sediments or the kind of the byproducts or the remaining pieces of grain. And so we're taking all the sediment grain out, and we have just the liquid. So we turn the the wort um, from laudering, and then we're going to go ahead and boil that. And once you boil it, we're going to bring it to a boil, and then they're going to cool it immediately and bring it down to a fermentation temperature. So again, we've gone from milling to mashing to laudering into boiling and cooling. And once we cool it, we're good and we can go into fermentation. Uh, and kind of the mash stops here. Uh, fermentation, we're gonna throw yeast in there. Uh, yeast will uh, take the actual sugars and turn that into alcohol. And another byproduct is carbon, I believe it's carbon dioxide. So again, the, the beauty of it is as as we've created these enzymes, as the starches are broken down into sugar, the yeast comes in there and just eats. And it eats all the sugar and it turns that sugar molecularly into alcohol and also a byproduct of carbon dioxide. So this will happen over a, a period of time. It could be days, uh, it could be a couple days, it could be a week, it could be, again, it's up to the actual distiller a master distiller on how long and what types of yeast they do. Uh, certain yeasts will highlight certain flavors of different grains. Um, so there is definitely an artwork uh, to the actual addition of yeast. And we're gonna go into a much, we're gonna do fermentation on its own. So we're not gonna go too deep into fermentation. That'll be a show in itself. But really, like I said, once they really start going here, once the mash is going, the fermentation, you throw the yeast in there, it eats, it eats, it eats, and it's slowly gonna die itself off because it loses sugars to eat, and the yeast kinda just dies on its own. And then from that fermentation process, we have now all this alcohol sitting in this bin. They're gonna put it inside the stills, and they're gonna distill it. And what the distilling process does is takes the, the wash, which is created during the, the fermentation process, and it actually turns that liquid into, it actually turns it into a distillant. Uh, so it takes that, again, that fermentated uh, big pot, runs it through some heat, 
turns it into a liquid uh, called a wash. The wash gets hot, evaporates the alcohol off, keeps sediments and, and tastes and flavors you do not want in your whiskey stay in the pot or into the column, and the alcohol will travel out uh, through the still into a clear liquid um, that starts its journey as a whiskey. So the really cool part about mashing, again, if we go back to the beginning, it is taking a grain, it's milling it down, it's adding water. So yes, whiskey is vegan. It is just water and grain. How great is that, right? So w once they are able to take this, this malt and this mash and the grains and they, they create all this wonderfulness, it comes out as a clear liquid. And then how does whiskey get brown? They put it in a barrel and they put it in a barrel for multiple years. Irish, it has to be at least three. And over those three years, you'll start to create some color from it. Uh, typically what we see with Irishes is they tend to be a little more golden, a little lighter compared to that, their brethren over here in the States with bourbon. Um, so one more time here real quick before we talk about the different mash types or grains for the mash. I am getting so much apple with this tonight, even more apple than the last time I had this. And to give you guys a hint, I have a love-hate relationship with this type of whiskey. And I'm, I'm really narrowing my choices down to, it's not my favorite red breast. <coughs> if you would have given me that my first sip, I would have gone. I'm having a feeling that we are drinking just a little bit of the green spot. So let's talk about the different types of grains that is used in the mash process. So remember, your mash is milled grist, put in a big vat with the grist, and hot water. So what are some main types of mashes? Well, you'd have a single malt mash, which would be single malt would be, that's right, barley. Malted barley in a big vat by itself, that would be a single malt mash. So it is just barley in water. And again, that's where majority of Irishes come from. And this one is actually malted, and I believe a little bit of unmalted, but I believe that's their mash grain. And there is an X at the bottom of the bottle, if you can see that. So I am drinking Green Spot tonight. Uh, it's really good tonight. Another good night for Green Spot. So again, uh, with a single malt mash, it is just barley, right? Or malted barley. Um, we also have what, in the States, we have a bourbon mash. So the bourbon mash would be high in corn with usually rye and a barley with it, or they could replace the rye or the barley with wheat. But majority of most bourbons are a corn, rye, barley mix, uh, or malted barley, again. Uh, that gives you that, the, the unique flavor of a bourbon. So bourbon is high in corn, so you'll get it, it'll become sweet and smooth, and you get a lot of flavor, a lot of sweetness, uh, a lot of caramel flavors from a bourbon. Uh, single malt, you get fruity floral on occasions if you get a scotch. Depending on the Irish, you might get a peated, that has an earthy tone or flavor to it because when they malted, when they stopped the malting process, which we've talked about in the past, uh, to malt barley, what they do is they put, coat it with water and they add heat to it and they, they trick it to sprout. And once it sprouts, they add a lot of heat to it to end the sprouting process. And that's where they introduce peat, which is kind of a, um, in the bogs, uh, in Ireland and Scotland, they take these, this ferment, this ground that is hundreds and thousands of years old, then they actually burn it, and it gives the, that peat flavor 
it gives you a very campfirey taste to the to the actual mash because you put so much smoke into the mash. So again, you got to remember the mash is the architect. It is the ethos of your whiskey. So as you, it is the kind of the base layer of what your whiskey will taste like. Now they can change the taste by putting it into different barrels, add different grains. But again, your mash is really giving you that that flavor or a combination of blending whiskeys with that. Um, so we have the bourbon malt. Uh, mash again that is just using high corn you have what we call a a rye mash which would be using mainly rye in the states uh, rye grows really well uh, in Ireland and Scotland a lot of times you see actually barley grows better but in the climates in the northeast and the east uh, we see a lot of rye in the states that's why we see a lot of rye whiskeys as well as rye as a main component to offset the sweetness of the corn and bourbon. And rye gives you that spicy, punchy flavor. Um, like I said, I didn't think I was gonna really enjoy rye because I really do like Irish whiskeys, but I really like a good rye whiskey. I like that little punchy, spicy feel to it. You could have a wheat mash. Um, once again, and that's just putting actual ground wheat in. Uh, a lot of whiskeys in the States will replace rye with wheat. Uh, there are weeded whiskeys, but they're very, to me, I'm not a big wheat fan. Uh, to me, they just get a little too sweet, but they're very smooth. They have a very sweet profile. And I think a lot of times with a, a weeded whiskey or a weeded bourbon, a lot of times I get a lot of honey flavor and kind of a creaminess to it. Uh, but again, wheat is great. A lot of people love them. I'm just not the biggest wheat bourbon wheat fan. Uh, you can have a corn mash, AKA moonshine. Uh, this tends to be very sweet, very light, a lot of times pretty smooth, and a lot of times too, a lot of high octane. Uh, I went to college in Virginia Tech, which is in the, uh, just outside of the Blue Ridge, uh, kind of pushing towards Appalachia. Uh, had a buddy of mine whose father was a state policeman, and just randomly he would show up and, you know, somehow left on our front doorstep was mason jars, of high grain corn whiskey. Uh, so in college we enjoyed moonshine coming from Appalachia and it is very sweet, uh, it's very clear and has a very unique taste. But kind of a lot of times with corn mash they'll cheat with moonshines and they'll actually put corn in there and add sugar to increase the speed of the fermentation where usually with wheat, barley, um, corn, kind of the big whiskey makers, they won't add sugar to the process. They create the sugars through the starches. Um, so that's kind of a, a change. You can have a multi-grain mash where I could put, and this is what you typically see with whiskeys uh, in the States, you'd have corn, let's say 75% corn, uh, maybe 18% uh, rye, and then complete it out with like 8% of whatever, uh, like a malted barley. Uh, again, to, to use the enzymes from the barley. But a lot of times what you'll see is you won't see single mashes very often. You'll see multi-mashes by using different, different grains. So you'll use corn rye, malt, barley, wheat, or other native grains, oats. Um, there's tons of them. And a lot of the really cool craft uh, whiskey makers now are actually using a tons of different grains, a lot more like beer, uh, beer producers use to create different flavors and different whiskeys. Uh, you can have a high malt mash, which again would be putting in a, a very high amount of barley 
and uh, malted barley into the system. And then finally, well, you can have the peated mash, which we already talked about was in the mash process. They use peat smoke and you get that smoky flavor. And I would say the final mash you would see would be a blended mash. So you could actually create a corn mash over here and a rye mash over here. And then you would actually kind of combine them together. And then you would actually start running it through the lardering and things along that line. So that would be kind of a blended mash. So you have blended whiskeys that takes the end distillant, blends it together, puts it in the barrel. And then you also have the blended where you take multiple barrels, blend it together, and you create a different drink. So there's a lot of ways to blend, but you can also blend mashes as well. Run mash uh, recipes differently and then combine them that way. Uh, so those are some types of mash that you'll hear about. Uh, but again, you got to remember the mash is kind of the cornerstone, the, the backbone of what your, your actual whiskey will taste like in the future. Um, so it's really important to understand the mash. And again, if you understand the mash going into a whiskey tasting, a lot of times you can really finite and dig in and get really close. Because I know, um, because I smell lots of barley, I smell malted barley and I'm smelling apples. So I know immediately when I get that kind of flavor combination, it's green spot. Uh, Drum Chambeau does not have the apple flavor. It's a little more bitey. And the uh, Irishman over there, same thing. All pot, single pots, or Drum Chambeau is actually single pot still, just like the green spot, but a little bit different. And Redbreast does not give you their mash, so we don't know exactly what it is. Uh, but again, you can't go wrong with Redbreast. So green spot is a single pot still Irish whiskey, triple distilled. So they do triple distill. We talked about distillation. They run it through the distillation process three times. And that's another reason why Irish whiskeys are really smooth. Um, so again, I enjoyed the green spot tonight. We talked about the putting mashup, what it takes to become a good putter and the parts we got to control. And also the mash mix up, what you have to control in the mashing process to be able to create the distillant uh, that turns it into your whiskey or to your spirit of choice. So thank you for joining us here. Again, I enjoyed a green spot tonight. Uh, if you like Irish whiskeys and you really enjoy the smell of an orchard, I would definitely uh, refer you to green spot. To me, uh, like I said, I have a love-hate relationship with green spot. Some days it tastes great to me, some days it doesn't. But this is two shows in a row. It tastes pretty daggone good. So maybe I'm starting to like green spot even more than I thought I did. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, I'm going to do a, I got to finish my blind tasting with blind barrels. I'm going to run my own blind query show on that. I'm going to go ahead and kick out cocktails and in that same broadcast uh, with the blind tasting. So this is again, shot control. Thanks to everybody for listening and watching. And we will be bringing you more information, more whiskey drinks and more information about how to become a better golfer in the episodes to come. Read speed start line. Mash. This has been a fuel production.